Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, Trailblazers fans. Welcome to the Blazer Focus Podcast. I am Aaron Fentress. Blazers writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, and what a win Monday night for the Trailblazers. Absolutely a huge moment for this team. Now, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We don't want to pretend that the victory meant that the Blazers have overtaken the Lakers in the West or are now the front runners in the West or anything like that. It doesn't mean anything along uh, those lines. Let, let's all remember that the Blazers defeated the Lakers in game one of their first round series back in August, and then the Lakers proceeded to win the next four games. So one game in the NBA doesn't mean anything here or there, really. But why that victory was important was because clearly over the past two games, this team has made a dramatic turnaround on defense. That's what makes this so important. They are now two and one and they're looking like that disaster of a defense has finally turned the corner. So I have a lot of things to get to today. Uh, coming up on the show, I'm going to talk about the defense and how they've turned things around in the past game and a half ever since halftime of the Houston win on Saturday night. I will also address what I think is this Gary Trent ridiculous nonsense. Just absolutely senseless, pointless <laughs> griping people have been doing about his inconsistent uh, minutes played so far this season. Uh, people need to let that go, but I will talk about that. And then last but not least, uh, my man, <laughs> Kelly Graves, Oregon women's basketball coach. I did a segment with him. Why you might ask would I do a segment with an Oregon coach on a blazer focused podcast? But he and I agreed a long time ago that we should do some kind of segment, uh, on the fact that I should say, I basically told him he needs to come on and talk about this with me, and he agreed to do it. And it's just, it's just a, a silly little Michael Jordan versus LeBron James debate. He is pro James. I am pro Michael Jordan. I thought it'd be fascinating for me to finally have this debate with, with an actual basketball person. He's a major. Uh, college basketball coach. He and I come from the same generation, which is a little shocking to me that he uh, would would side with LeBron. But we engaged in a nice little debate about the issue. You can check that out after you listen to me talk about these suddenly defensive-minded Blazers. First up, I want to discuss this Trailblazers defense. Now, we all know that Portland went out in the offseason and they signed Derrick Jones Jr. and traded for Robert Covington in order to enhance the defense. They wanted to be more aggressive, especially on the perimeter. They wanted to have smarter defensive players with length, a little bit more tenacity, a little more uh, higher defensive IQ so that they could improve on their defensive rating, which was 27th in the league last year. 
before I get into more of that, let's listen to what Terry Stotts had to say about Covington and Jones after the team's win over the Lakers. You know, it's funny. LeBron had 29, and I thought uh, I thought Derek really did a good job with him and made him work for it. I thought Robert was outstanding guarding Anthony Davis. Uh, those two, the defensive component that they gave, especially in a matchup like tonight, was pretty obvious. Basketball is always fascinating in that you know, a superstar can just go off on you, but you can still feel good about your defense because – how many points an individual score doesn't really matter in the end. It's how much the team scores. And, you know, Harden getting 44 on Saturday, LeBron getting 29 on Monday, but you still win the game can still indicate that your defenders guarding them had good games. And, and that's basically what Stotts has been saying post these last two games, that the Blazers have at least made it a challenge for both superstars to get going. Now I use that term loosely because they did, have very effective games, but like Damian Lillard said himself, scores are going to score. You just want to make them work for it. Jones did that with Harden in uh, the Saturday's game, and he did make life a little uncomfortable for LeBron on Monday. Um, by making guys grind, you really put your team in a position where you hope that by the end of the game, you've seen everything, you know what they're going to try and do, and it gives you a better opportunity to make a play. So let's go back to uh, halftime of the Houston game. The Blazers were down 68-58. Harden was killing them. Uh, the Blazers, right before the end of the quarter and at halftime, basically had had enough. Lillard, McCullum, Covington all said after the game, that they determined that they had to stop being so pathetic on defense. They had to show some pride, show some heart, act like they cared, accelerate the learning curve so that they could get out of this rut. Now, this is a team that was giving up just oodles of points. Like Denver put up 255 over two games. Granted, they were preseason, but still they gave up 120 to Utah and then 68 and a half to a depleted Rockets team. Uh, the, the talk worked, you know, that they, they tightened things up at the end of the second quarter. And then in the locker room at halftime said, Hey, we have to keep this going in the second half. And they held the Rockets to 17 points in the third quarter and 28 in the fourth. That's 45. And that enabled the play of McCollum and Lillard, who scored 76 points to get that team into overtime where they were able to win the game. Now there were two huge moments along the way late in the, in that game. The Blazers forced Harden into a turnover near the end of regulation when he drove the lane. And then in overtime with a lead, Harden drives. It looked like he could have taken a floater over Nurkic, but he didn't. He tried to make a pass and Covington was right there to pick it up, pick off the ball. Excuse me. Those plays probably don't happen if you're not at least playing tough, hard-nosed defense the entire game. And Harden's just great. Like You can do all sorts of things to him defensively. He's going to find a way to get the ball in the basket or find the open guy. He's amazing at it. People call him selfish, but my God, if he does not have a shot he will give up the ball. He's averaging 7.7 assists during his career in Houston. Um, I just said he had 17 assists the other night against the Blazers. Now, against the Lakers, uh, it was more of the same. You know, first off, Covington did a great job on Anthony Davis. He held him to 13 points. You know, that's more than simply making it difficult. That's annoying someone to the point where they are just not effective at all. Now, LeBron had the nice game, but 
you know, there were several moments late where the Blazers got to him. One play in particular actually happened at the end of the third quarter. You know, Jones on a pick and roll gets screened. I can't remember who the screener was, but LeBron gets by him and is going one-on-one with Cantor down the middle of the lane. And so that's a mismatch. Clearly, LeBron made a move on him. I think he's this spin move. Cantor gets all flummoxed, and LeBron's about to lay it in for an easy two points. But, oh, here comes Jones recovering from behind. He didn't quit, didn't give up. He takes pride in his defense. He's not going to just let LeBron get a layup just because he got uh, uh, picked in a pick and roll. He And he demonstrates, you know, amazing uh, quickness, determination, speed, leaping ability to go high up and swat LeBron from behind. I mean, it, 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 it was just a remarkable play. And I'm not, you know, sometimes I, you know, I, I get impressed by things because you just don't see them very often and they're not, you know, necessarily going to, you know, change the course of the team's fortunes all season long. But man, that tells people right there, even if you get by Jones or get by anyone else, you better watch out because you don't know where that guy's coming and he is Gonna try and make a play on the ball. The elevation he got from point A to point B in a, in the blink of an eye, those long arms. Stotts talked about their length, both he and Covington. You know, that, that stuff is legit. Um, those two are paying off big time right now. And what's interesting as well is that you have a situation where both are really struggling offensively. Uh, Jones has never been a great shooter necessarily, but he's shooting 27%. He's better than that. He was one for nine against the Lakers. Covington is shooting 26.3%. He's made just one of 13 three-point attempts. He shoots 35% for his career from that distance with a high of 37.8. If those guys can just be decent on offense, you know, if... If Jones can be around 40% and hit 30% of his threes and Covington can get back to 35, 36% on threes, then you're talking about two guys who along with Damon CJ are going to help make uh, this team pretty formidable moving forward. But I, I think that we've seen the team turn the corner. I mean, we never know what's going to happen next. The Clippers could drop 180 on them for all we know, right? Um, they're going to have some down games, of course, but we're starting to see it. It just happened in the blink of an eye, didn't it? Like after Utah and the first half of the, Hard, uh, the Harden game, I'll call it that. You know, I, I was thinking, my God, are they ever going to stop anybody? Like, are they going to lose every game on this upcoming road trip and come back, you know, you know, 0 6 and then hopefully get a win against the sorry Bulls? Uh, that's my team, by the way, so I can call them sorry. Uh, that was a, a legit concern, but right now you feel like, man, that defense, is going to be doing what it's doing right now, uh, they're going to be pretty darn good. And, you know, let's go back to the Laker game real quick because I didn't mention, you know, when the game was on the line and had, after they had come back, uh, they held the Lakers to 22 points in that fourth quarter. That's LeBron James and Anthony Davis with a game on the line, and they got held to 22 points as a team in that quarter. And that was all about that Lakers uh, offense struggling against the now mighty Blazers defense. Okay, now let's get to this Gary Trent mini controversy. So Trent played six minutes in the Houston game. Um, and then he came back against the Lakers and had 28 points. He lit it up. It was a bubble-like performance from him. We all remember when he sort of had his coming out party at the NBA bubble during the restart in Orlando, was just dropping trays all over the place the entire time there. Well, for the most part, he had a, he had a couple down games. And this was one of those performances. He was 10 for 14 from the field, 7 of 3 
excuse me, seven of 11 on three pointers for 28 points. He was phenomenal. He had no conscience at all. He didn't care who was in his face, who was coming at him. He pumped fake LeBron out of his socks on one of his three pointers. He was just amazing. He got them back in the game in the, in the first half, excuse me, first quarter came off the bench instantly. Bam, bam, two, three pointers. He got 10 points in the second quarter, only one in the third on a, on a free throw. And then in the fourth, he had uh, 11 and he did that on three, three pointers, which all came like within a couple minutes of each other. And then he left the game for good with seven minutes to go. Now this of course caused people to reach back and wonder why he only plays six minutes against Houston, you know, and there are actually fans out there. Stoss is an idiot. He doesn't know what he's doing. What's he do? He's got to play Trent all the time, blah, 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 blah. And it, it was just bizarre to me. Cause it's like one thing had nothing to do with the other had, had, excuse me, had a uh, Stotts, you know, played uh, Trent a lot against the Lakers and he went two for 10, no one would have said anything, right? It'd been like, oh, who cares? We'll move on. But since he had a good game, that means let's go back and talk about Houston. That makes no sense whatsoever. So some have questioned Stott's uh, decision-making with the Houston game. And I just don't understand that, understand that because I think his decision-making and his rationale after the game were 100% sound, so here's what he said after the Houston game. He made it very clear that, you know, in the second half they were down. Uh, he doesn't know at that moment that the defense is going to turn things around. He knows he's going to need a lot of points. He's going to need Dame and CJ on the floor. So he sh- said he shortened his rotation to nine from 10 in the first half. In the first half, Trent played six minutes, had one field goal, zero points. So it's not like Trent was doing anything. Um, a lot of people have, have made this about Trent versus Simon. Simon's played, uh, six minutes as well. I think in the first half, um, he did, he did hit a three pointer though and played a little bit better. And Stott said later that he felt like, Simons was just more in the flow of the game and what they needed. And that's why in the second half, he played Simons instead of Trent. Now, people have fixated way too much on that because it's it's really nonsensical to even compare those two in that situation because that wasn't really the issue. So, you know, let's let's go back to this. So Simons entered the game in the third quarter at the 314 mark. Um, and he hit a three to make it 83-83, right? He also got a steal. Came off a bad pass, but still he got a steal. He blocked a shot and he got a rebound. Then he missed a couple threes and he got taken out at the 17 second mark. So he played three minutes in the third quarter. Does anyone really believe that in those three minutes, (laughs) Trent would have done more than that? I mean, really, you know, I mean, three points, a steal, a block and a rebound. You know, if you multiply that, by 10 over 30 minutes, that would be 30 points, 10 steals, 10 blocks, and 10 rebounds. Now, I'm not saying Simons would ever do that <laughs> if he played 30 minutes. What I'm saying, though, is that he was very productive in those uh, three minutes he was in the game. In the fourth quarter, Simons only played 44 seconds. So Simons played four minutes in the second half. So this is what the big gripe is. Now, could you have given those minutes to Trent? I guess you could have, but... Stotts just made the decision that he was going to go with Simons because he just felt like Simons had it going better that game than Trent did. Now, how is that not a legitimate take when Trent in six minutes was 0 for 1? Like, he, he didn't do anything at all in his six minutes. Zero points, a rebound, and a foul. So 
if, if Stoss is sitting there going, hmm, Trent Simons, Trent Simons, uh, I'm going to go with Simons, that is a, a more than sound decision. So the reality, though, is that the only way Trent plays more in that game is if those minutes come from McCollum, Lillard, or Jones. It's not about Simons, okay? Let's remember, too, that even against the Lakers, as well as, as Trent played, uh, he didn't play the last seven minutes of the game. He came out with seven-something to go and never went back in. And even then, Stott said, you know, he was trying to make a decision. Do I go back to Trent to get some more of that offense? Or do I leave Jones out there because he's playing so well defensively against LeBron? Well, which would you want? Would you want to slow down LeBron knowing you have Damon CJ out there to score baskets <laughs> or put Trent back in there for no, for more offense, which now you're a little bit redundant in a way because Damon CJ uh, are scoring points. But now is, is Trent guarding LeBron? No, Trent is not going to guard LeBron anywhere near as well as Jones is, which is why they went out and got Jones. So that's where Trent's minutes went. Um, and, and now here's another thing though. <laughs> You know, at the end of the preseason, I wrote, I did a five observations from the preseasons. And one of the things I wrote about was what's going to happen with Trent's minutes. And, and understand, I'm a hundred percent pro Trent and I'm pro Anthony Simons too. I, I think Ant, as they call him, is going to be a really good player when he gets his opportunity. Uh, but Trent clearly has been ahead of him. Um, but I was worried about what was going to happen to Trent's minutes because of all the depth that they've added. Since the bubble, they added Covington, who can play small forward and power forward. You added Jones, who can play, probably play the two some if he needed to, uh, defensively at least, um, for sure. And then he plays a three and can play some four. And then you have Rodney Hood coming back, who played, started at the three last year before he tore his Achilles, right? Uh, and then, you know, you had Simons, Trent backing up Damon CJ. That's a lot of guys who, who you're trying to find minutes for. Now, in the preseason uh, press conference with Neil Olshay, uh, actually the post offseason moves press conference, I asked him, you know, what are you going to do when all these forwards are healthy? And he asked me to name the forwards. And I named everybody, including Hood and Carmelo and Zach Jones, I mentioned Trent had played some small forward and Covington. And he said, we kind of look at Hood as a guard. Now, there was a preseason game where well, the preseason game where Dame didn't start. Hood started in place of Dame. McCollum started at the at the point. So when when Olshay said that that day, you know, I, I immediately I was like, okay. So if you're telling me that this forward is now a guard, therefore that alleviates the minute problem at forward, you're creating a whole different problem at guard <laughs> because CJ is going to play. 36 minutes. Dave's going to play 36 minutes. That's 72 minutes, and there's only 96 minutes available. At the guard spot, the two guard spots, that leaves you 24 minutes. If you got Hood, Simons, and Trent, who's getting those minutes? So obviously, and if if Hood and Trent go play small four, you're taking minutes away from Jones, um, who's your starter there. So, you know, you can mix and match and get all sorts of different combos going to find minutes for people. But at the end of the day, someone's going to get left out. And most people seem to believe it's going to be Simons, which makes sense. But some nights I think it's going to be a different person. You know, I could easily see Hood getting under 10 minutes or what have you some nights. Uh, and sometimes it's going to happen with Trent. I don't think it's going to be very often, but I just, I just think that the Houston game was just one of those days. 
let's also remember too, Trent did not play well against Utah in game one. He played 26 minutes, shot four of 12, had 11 points because he, he did make a couple threes. He did have a couple steals and a couple assists. So I shouldn't say he didn't play well, but he didn't shoot well. They lost 120-100. So, you know, Trent played a lot of minutes in that game. They got smoked. Trent played a lot of minutes in the Laker game and they won. You know, no one was talking about the first game saying, hey, don't play Trent. He didn't play very well and they lost by 20. Of course not. And of course, no one was saying after the Laker game, hey, you only played uh, Simons five minutes after he played more minutes against Houston. Uh, every, the focus is just on Trent and Stott's decision regarding, tw- regarding Trent and his playing time in the Houston game. Now, I will say this. Let's say moving forward, you know, the Blazers are nine and one when Trent plays 20 minutes or more. And they are three and eight when Trent plays under 15 minutes. You know, then I think you have a gripe. Then it's like, okay, what's going on here? He's, if he's killing it and when you play him more, you win. When you play him less, you lose. Okay, fine. That's a legitimate discussion. And I do think it's legitimate to ask the question after the Houston game. I just can't believe people are making a big deal out of it. Like, like it's some kind of indictment on Stotts or some kind of major issue, a major problem. It's not. And I do believe going forward, it's not going to happen very often. But I think you have to give the coach leeway to make decisions based on strategy and based on opponent, based on situation. Uh, and he's going to have a tough, he's, man, th- think about this. Carmelo didn't play. That is another issue. Carmelo didn't play because of health and safety protocols. Um, so he didn't even make the trip. So that was 22 and a half minutes he's been playing, uh, through the regular season, the first two games that were now available. Um, so you could argue that those minutes went or some of those minutes went to, uh, Trent. So when Car- Carmelo comes back, is he going to get his 20 minutes again? Now I've seen other people out there saying, Hey, maybe they need to phase Carmelo out if Trent's going to play like this. Well, are they, are they really going to do that? I don't know. They promised, they, they promised Carmelo what? We're going to protect your legacy, right? And what does that mean? That means you don't treat him like some bench warmer. He's going to play. And I do think he's going to play better than he has been. I think he's still trying to get acclimated to being a bench guy, but he's going to come back and play. And then in three weeks, Zach Collins is coming back, (laughs) right? So unless more people get injured in the next month, you're just going to have a boatload of players to try and find minutes for. And sometimes it's going to be inconsistent. And last but not least, you know, Trent is not going to do that every night. If Trent can go 10 for 14 and 7, 11, 7 for 11 every night, then he'd be starting. And then you trade CJ immediately for, you know, an upgrade somewhere else and you start Trent or you trade Trent immediately for an upgrade someplace else. Uh, but he's not going to do that. Just like in the bubble, he was red hot and then he had two, you know, games where he was like one for six from three. And then he came back with another game, then a mediocre game. You know, he's going to be up and down. Uh, so anyway, that's just my take. I, I think Stotts has leg- had more than a legitimate reason for what happened against Houston. I believe based on his, uh, press conference when he said he talked to Trent about it, that he wanted to make sure Trent was cool. Trent has said, look, I'll be ready when I'm, when, when you need me. Just come, you just let me know and I'll go do my job. Very professional about it. Uh, so I, I think this will all move forward amicably and not be a big deal. I will say this though, you know, Trent, you know, Trent's got a contract coming up. <laughs> You know, he definitely wants to play and prove himself and try and up his value. Uh, but I think he also knows that part of doing that is, is being a team player and performing when asked to, and then let that, let your play dictate your minutes. We'll be right back after a short break.
We welcome in Oregon coach Kelly Graves. How are you doing today? Hey, Aaron, I'm doing good, man. Good to be with you. Thanks for joining me. People are probably wondering why is the Oregon basketball coach being a guest on the Blazer Focus podcast? I do want to ask you a little bit about the Blazers, see if you how much you follow them. But we're going to have a nice spirited debate on the whole LeBron versus Jordan controversy. Uh, Coach Graves and I are from the same generation, so I'm a little surprised that he's leaning pro LeBron, but that's okay. I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because he knows a little bit more about basketball than I do. So, first of all, I'm a Bulls fan. I grew up on Jordan. I'm a Tar Heels fan. I was a Tar Heels fan since I was little kid. With Jimmy Black was my guy until Jordan came along, Worthy, et cetera. Um, hey, see, we like each other there because I'm a. I've always been a Tar Heel fan as well. There you go. So we can we can start with uh, it's so, like politics. It's yeah, like, common ground. Common ground. We found common ground. I like that. All right. Actually, how I became a Tar Heel fan is my favorite color was powder blue. I have a powder blue sweatshirt on now. So as a 10-year-old kid, that attracted me to the, to the Tar Heels. Anyway, um, so I'm a Jordan guy. I admit that. I'm a Bulls guy. I admit that. But to me, he's the unquestioned GOAT. Obviously, LeBron is in the conversation, maybe number two. But I want to hear from you because you know you know a lot about basketball here. <laughs> so I want to know why do you, someone from my generation, believe that LeBron is better than Jordan or the greatest? Really loaded question. Yeah, and and <laughs> see that see and that's the beautiful thing about this whole deal. It, it's your opinion, you know, and it's a lot of other people's opinions. I get it, but as soon as you throw out unquestioned, mm-hmm. okay, well that's where we have an issue because there is a question. You know, it isn't cut and dried. And the one thing I've been going round and round with lots of folks on this Jordan uh, LeBron argument for years. And the one thing that I've always I I realize is I'm not going to change anybody's mind and they're not going to change mine. It's personal preference. True. You know, and they they both deserve mention in the conversation. And uh, and so, yeah, for me, LeBron is just the better player, I think, is the better all round player. There's no question Jordan was awesome and he was great in his time. I, I get it. But to me, LeBron impacts the game in more ways than, than so, MJ did. So you say great in his time. Do you, do you think the, the difference in eras are a huge factor in this discussion? Oh, sure. No question. Yeah. Yeah. The game's better today than it ever has been, in, in my opinion. You know, uh, skill-wise, uh, depth of talent. You, you know, just look this year. Look at who won't make the playoffs in the Western Conference this this season. It's incredible. You know, uh, as good as the Blazers are, and I think they're really good and going to be really good, they're going to struggle to get into the top half of the Western Conference, right? And, um, you know, and I I just think you look at the the, the eras, uh, I don't think the game's ever been healthier than it is today. And so, yes, that does make a difference. So... Are you saying that Jordan and company would or he wouldn't be athletic enough to dominate this era? Uh, no, I'm not saying that. He was obviously a, is a great athlete, yeah, and he would still be the same today. I just think that there's a lot more players that can guard him today. The the, the length and athleticism and depth of the of the defensive talent and the sophistication of defenses in general is different today. Uh, and, uh, so yeah, he still would be an, obviously that, that's a no brainer. He'd still be great, but that's why I struggle with the whole greatest argument. He's certainly athletic enough to be great. Yeah. Dominate. I, I don't know 
how you use that term. Who, who knows? But yes, he <laughs> would still be among the best players and maybe the best player uh, now. I that I don't know. See, some people will drive me nuts when they say the athletics difference in the eras means Jordan wouldn't thrive in today's age, which I think is ridiculous because he is way more athletic and skilled than Harden, than uh, Russell Westbrook, who have averaged triple doubles in this league and done whatever they want. Um, so to me, if, if Westbrook can average a triple double being smaller than Jordan and not being able to shoot as well as Jordan and not being as efficient as Jordan because he makes a lot of bad decisions, I think Jordan would score 40 a night if he wanted to. Now, they would have a lot of wins where they, he wouldn't need to score 40. So he probably wouldn't average 40 or 45 like some of us say he would because it wouldn't make any sense. But let me ask you this. From a strategic standpoint, if the offense is so much spread out now than it was back then and you have stretch fours and stretch fives, doesn't that change the game for him? It's more wide open. Yeah, but it also sh- sh- uh, changes the game and who can score. That That's the, the problem I have with basketball in the 80s and 90s, okay? Go back and watch some of the – even the Celtics, those great running teams. You know, the Celtics could run, and they were really offensive. The whole game's played within 20 feet from of the basket. It's it's The spacing is horrible. The shot selection was <laughs> awful. And – and so, yeah, you're right. The game's more spread, and it might be more conducive to his talent. But at the same time, there's going to be more people that can score. And uh, back then, I, I look at the teams he always had to go through, the, like the Knicks. My God, they would they would start either Charles Smith, Charles Oakley, Anthony Mason. They'd have two of those three on the floor at the same time, and they can't and they can't score. Those guys couldn't play in today's game. You know, because that that enforcer type, or that that they they bring one skill to the to the game, and it's usually got to do with a an illegal screen and some kind of a clothesline <laughs> in the lane. You've got to admit, though, Aaron, that that looking back, go back and watch it. It's I do. Bad I basketball, do. bad basketball. Wow, you think it's bad? Yeah. Well, compared to today, at, at okay, the time look- it wasn't, but but compared to today, it was an era. You know, the bad boy era was, whew, and, and they were right. You know, they were the successors to the bad boys. See, this is an interesting discussion because the evolution of the three-point line and how people use it has opened up the game. And, like, and it sounds like you think that's better basketball. Whereas, whereas me, when I watch a team shoot 53s in the NBA and the other team shoots 45, that's boring to me because both teams are basically staying between the three-point lines. They're not even trying to go inside. Rebound, offensive rebounds today or defensive rebounds today are de- next to worthless because no one's down there to get them. That's better basketball, though? It, it is. And I'll tell you, you know why? It's all analytics-driven as well on the offensive rebounds. Right. The, the, the effort that you would give to get a second shot and a third shot is not worth what you would give up in transition. That's why the offensive rebound has, right. has by and right. large, gone away. But it's also not a big mosh pit under the basket every time, and whoever's the strongest <laughs> – Hey, remember why we got into this, uh, uh, the dream team back in the eight, late 80s and 90s? Americans couldn't shoot. Remember when that was a deal? What happened yeah. to the shooting? Nobody can shoot. And Europeans could. And we suddenly started losing international competition. That Iverson-Duncan team, that law, they, they, they didn't even get the bronze. Or did they get the bronze? 
In 88? Yeah, I don't know. No, 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 I, not, not 88. I'm not talking 80. I'm even going back. After the Dream Team, and they dominated a few Olympics, then that one crew didn't even medal or got the bronze. Yeah, I think that and, might have been around 2000, 2004, yeah, whatever right. it was. Lo- yeah. And Iverson was on that team, that crew, and they couldn't shoot. They couldn't shoot, but for the longest time, that was the, the downfall in the, in right. the game. And now everybody can shoot. That's why yeah. when you talk about transcendent players, I think Steph Curry's as important a player as there's ever been in this game because he's made shooting – Okay, it used to be all about dunks, right? Who could do the coolest dunk and and uh, and all this? That's kind of gone away. The dunks a little bit passe. It's become skill-driven game, and that's what I like about. It. I wish the NBA would even uh, widen the court, mm. uh, you know, because that that corner three is pretty easy. Make the corner three a little bit deeper, and uh, you know, right now that's the easiest shot in the game. Right. And everybody, you know, every time Lillard drives or CJ drives, you know, and they need an outlet. Right. There's somebody in the corner (laughs) in every offense. So widen the court. (laughs) They'll never do that because you're you're taking away a lot of pretty expensive seats down there in the front. Right. And uh, so anyway, I just I look at the two eras and I, I don't you can't compare them. You know, you would put maybe one or two scores on the floor in the old days, and now you've got at least four. Right. See, I, I think I think a happy medium would be better, and maybe that's me being what the young people call an old head. But I think it's gone too much the other way. Like, I almost think you should make the three-pointer two-and-a-half points or make a two-pointer two-and-a-half points to, to change the math so we can get more to moving around, trying to get closer shots as opposed to always basically playing for the three. Uh but you seem to just like the way it is now. Hey, but listen, I think the three is too gimmicky on some teams. And how many of those teams are championship contenders? You know, you look at Houston, they're not really a contender. This year, I'll tell you what, they may not make the playoffs in the Western Conference. I would pick them eight or nine right now. Um, I, I, You know, you'd look and there's probably six givens in the West Coast. So it's still a gimmick. I think your main teams use it as a weapon when it's needed. Um, but, but. You know, your championship contenders aren't relying on 40 to 53s a night. Lakers, Clippers, uh, the Bucks. Um, who else now in the East? Uh, you know, Boston, Miami. And, 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 and the Nets. Boy, the Nets looked really good last night. Yeah, so, that's scary. And they'll, they'll probably shoot a little bit more because KD's a three-point shooter and Kyrie, so your two superstars are three-point shooters. But the others aren't. But then you get some of the gimmicky teams that the only way they can compete is it's maybe have a hot night three at a time. So we talked about the eras. Tell me why you think LeBron is just a better all-around player. Well, listen, Jordan, I would I would say Jordan is the better defender, okay? But but LeBron is a good defender and has yeah. been his entire career. Uh, and and I think he can guard more positions. He can guard really a one through five. Jordan couldn't, okay? Uh, and so I think he's more versatile defensively. Uh, you know, Jordan wasn't able to get 15 to 18 assists on a night. Okay. Part of that was the guys he was throwing to and they didn't score as much. I get it. But LeBron can, can fill up the stat sheet a little bit more. LeBron's not the score that, that Jordan was, but they're equally as good as shooters. I mean, you know, from, from, from range, I think they're comparable. Uh, and then I just think, uh, you, you know, uh, Jordan is an okay rebounder for his size, but I think LeBron's the better rebounder. So in my opinion, he's a better passer and a better rebounder, not as good a score. But he can still score. If LeBron wanted to average 40, he could probably get close to it. 
But he doesn't. He's he's by nature a pass-first player, a facilitator. Right. Um, and, you know, I think Jordan – listen, and everybody uses the six championships. I get it. I get it. But tell me that Jordan's teams weren't always better than the teams they ended up beating. Maybe the Suns' year, right? But they were usually the favorite, right? And look who – you know, and he played for a Hall of Fame coach who's won 11 rings, Look who LeBron got to the championship. He won a ring for Ty Lue, Eric Spolstra. Now, Spolstra, hey, good guy, great coach. But he was a rookie then. He was an unproven coach. He got David Blatt to a championship. He got Mike freaking Brown to a championship series, right? Now, now think of think of He got Frank Vogel a championship. Now, you, you don't, you put those, those coaches that he had and the, and the, uh, Kind of the supporting cast. Every time he's had a good supporting cast, they've won outside of the Dallas Maverick series the one year. And that mm. certainly is a blemish. But, you know, I, 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 I just look at the coaches he's gotten there with, the teams he's gotten there with, the fact that he's still playing at an, in, you know, an NBA MVP level after, what, 17, 18 years? Uh, with no break, no two-year break in the middle. And here's <laughs> – hey, okay, but Aaron – Aaron, okay, the year the year LeBron left, LeBron left to go to Miami. Cleveland won like 29 fewer games that next year and got the number one pick, which was Kyrie. Right. Jordan retires, and they win three fewer games, and his team still makes it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Semifinals. They lost to the Knicks. Okay, we're semifinals, right. and that was the right. seven-game deal, right? Right. But regardless – Look at the difference in games and, and, and who made the impact. I think Jordan was just playing with A, a better coach, B, a better cast. Okay, so, so here's my counter to that. Okay. One, Phil Jackson was an absolute nobody when he got hired as the head coach. People act like he was the greatest coach ever when he became the Bulls coach. He was an assistant coach who had coached in the uh, in, in, in BDL, whatever they had, that no one had really heard of. And when they fired Collins, Collins and hired Jackson, it was controversial. People were like, what the hell is going on? So, so that's unfair to say, well, Jordan had the great Phil Jackson. The Bulls were already an NBA title contender when Phil Jackson took over. He helped them get over the top. The triangle helped change things because it made Jordan give up the ball, made other people more involved. But let's not pretend like Jackson has taken bad teams and won championships. His other championships came with Shaq and Kobe. I didn't say he did. All I said is he won 11 rings. So right. the proof is in the pudding. I mean, uh, so David Blatt, you're going to compare these guys? No, no, no. I'm just saying. I'm just saying you're right in that he had the better coach. What I'm saying is that he became a championship coach because he coached Jordan, not because not the other way around. Perhaps, but you just said that they had championship caliber talent. Correct. Was not being coached, you know, Doug Collins, right? You, you, well, know, they you said close. that. They lost so, in the East Finals. So to say that Phil lost. Jackson wasn't an important piece. I didn't, I didn't say important. I love Phil Jackson. Okay. Well, I'm saying that when they hired him. Argument. No, I, I'm a, I agree with some of what you're saying, but I'm just saying when Phil Jackson was hired, he had a 0-0 head coaching record. He was an assistant that no one had ever heard of, really. That's all I'm saying. Now, the passing thing, this has always bothered me because – Jordan, if he wanted to at any point in his career, could have averaged double-digit assists. There was one stretch in 89 where Doug Collins had him playing point guard, and he averaged a triple-double. So I feel like the assist thing is a choice thing. Like 
Players like Magic, Kobe, Jordan, Bird could do whatever they want. If they want to average triple-double, triple-double. They want to average 15 rebounds, 15 rebounds. 15 assists, 15 assists. Okay. Uh, agreed. Here's, here's a big difference, and you're right. Uh, uh, Jordan made a couple of really important passes, too, that helped win championships. One to Steve Kerr and one to John Paxson. Now, when LeBron makes – and those guys made those shots – if LeBron, and you know, in this day and age, LeBron oh, makes, I'm with you on this. If he makes the basketball play, the correct play, like Jordan did, and his guys miss it, the narrative in today's world is he doesn't want to take the big shot. And, and you know, as well as I do, that's, that's perpetuated with, with the social media. They didn't have all that. You know, Jordan, there's a famous poster, right? Jordan took, and miss the game-winning shot. Remember that poster that a lot of kids had? You know, I've tried and I've failed oh, yeah. on 29 yeah. occasions, right? Well, when you do that in this day and age, that 29 is amplified <laughs> and it becomes 100 because of the way everything is just wound up and, and replayed on social media. So it's it's a different time, and and I think if Jordan was playing now, there would be the same detractors because that's kind of who we are now. It just it's, yeah, that's the way it is, and I understand that, and so that's why this LeBron Jordan thing, I love it. We both have points to make and good counterpoints. In the end, it's your opinion and my opinion, you know, and everybody else has theirs too. One hundred percent, and I will say this: common ground with you on this. When people criticize LeBron for that, it drives me bananas. And I've gone off on that because it's so dumb. And especially in the last 10 seconds of a game, I think against Golden State, they, they were going to lose anyway because of Durant was on that team. But he passed it to Corver in the corner and, and a clutch play, light and then the game, and Corver missed. And people were ripping on Le, LeBron. And I'm like, Kyle Corver wide open from the corner is probably a 60% shooter, right? So I'm with you on that. Exactly. So I'm with you on that criticism. I, I think that's just dumb. Now, the Dallas series, he did disappear in that series. That was not a good look, but he's, he's made up since, he's made up for that since then. Now, one more thing about him. What do you think about the jumping around team to team? You know, I, I'm okay with that. I, again, this is the day and age that, that people do that. They have, and he has helped fight for the rights of players to do that. I, I don't think he gets enough credit for what he does for change. Uh, in, in the, you know, Jordan, of course, say Republicans buy shoes too. He didn't want to put himself out there. Pretty, you know, non-controversial player. Uh, not LeBron. He, he puts his mouth, uh, money where his mouth is. And, and I appreciate that. So I, I'm okay yeah. with that. And the people say he, he chased rings. He did that one time. You know, he put together the team in Miami. He didn't do that in LA. He didn't go to a mm. team that, no. Oh, Come on, Aaron. He didn't go to so, a team that was ready to win a championship. Now, don't no, say no, it. Now, he's on, helped get somebody there. But that's hey, the point. Didn't that M was always the plan. Well, hold the phone, though. Didn't MJ <laughs> go get Rodman for that reason? No, MJ, MJ and Pippen didn't really want Rodman. Oh, no one in the many, league wanted by the way, Rodman, how many and they traded for him. How many championships did MJ get before Pippen got there? You know, same well, as – yeah, true. And, and, you know, it's just – I, again, there's points on both sides, big guy. It's like if you're recruiting and you're watching two All-Americans, you're sitting at a gym and you're watching Damian Lillard and Russell Westbrook, okay? 
both equally great players, you would argue. I know one's got an MVP, but I would probably argue more people would want Damien now, right? So you're sitting in a gym and you can take one of those two. It comes down to preference. They're both equally great. It comes down to preference. I personally like LeBron and his game. You like MJ and his game. They'll never play against each other, so the point is moot. And, you know, I I just I prefer this guy. And I think in 20 years, when all the haters and we forget, uh, you, you know, we're not prisoners of the moment, and we look back and we're going to go, oh, my God, how great was this guy? I mean, he is still doing it after 18 years, man. He didn't quit on his guys after three championships. Oh, stop. <laughs> Come on. Hey, he quit the game, Michael's, correct? Michael's father was murdered. Come on. And that's a, that's a tragedy. Fair. But I think you and I fair. both know that, you know, tough things happen for lots of people, different times. Okay. Well, let's leave on. Let's close it on this. You're a good man, though, Aaron. I, I like. I like going back and forth with you, buddy. I got no problem with that. And I like your work. I know you're on our Eugene radio a lot with uh, Steve, and I appreciate that. I always listen to your segment. Oh, I appreciate that. Thanks a lot. So let's. So you've then you've probably heard me rail on the Jordan Lebron thing numerous times, and sat there and shook your head. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good, man. <laughs> you're like this basketball fool. He needs to stick with football. Hey, how about we do this? How about we just appreciate these guys while they're here, man? 100%. Portland should just appreciate Damien for what he's doing for this community and that that organization. And my God, what a talented guy. I have a story about him. He came down and watched our men play one night. I'm sitting on the on the baseline right behind the, the, the basket, and he sits next to me. He and his, his buddy, I don't know, maybe his bodyguard or whatever, and uh, – <laughs> And everybody's parading down. By the way, that's where they put the big timers, Aaron. You know, front row yeah. right under the basket. Mm-hmm. Hello. Yeah. So we're okay. sitting and, and everybody keeps coming down wanting his autograph. Not mine, his. And, and so finally, at right before halftime, I said, hey, you just want to go into our locker room so people don't bug you at halftime? And he goes, sure. And he comes back in, has a couple of Gatorades and as nice as can be. What a re- just a nice young man. It was pretty cool. And a couple of my players were in there doing some homework, and they kind of looked up as he walked in, and they, they took that hard second look. Oh, my God, that's Damian Lillard. But nice guy. So let's appreciate these no. players when they're here. No, I, I, I do agree with you there. And to, like I said, I respect LeBron. I think LeBron's amazing. I have him number two all the time. It's tough between him and Magic because Magic's a childhood hero. But that's another story. So let me let me end with this. You're starting five NBA players of all time. <laughs> Why do you do this? Okay, I'm going to go MJ, I'm going to go LeBron, and I'm going to go Magic. I think those three are no-brainers. I've, I really appreciate Kobe, too. I don't know if I'd put him in that top five, but for now I'm going to go ahead and do it because he was close to our program. And then fifth, because he was my idol growing up, and that's Larry Bird. And I'm glad you mentioned him. Uh, listen, oh, I know he's awesome. I know he's not as good as Jabbar and those other guys. I think we always forget how good the big men in this game were. But uh I'm gonna go with Larry just because I liked him. He's a legend, but 
I've had the debate numerous times of whether or not Larry Bird could be good today because a lot of the young kids think he wasn't athletic enough. And I'm like, you people are drunk. Larry Bird would thrive. You agree? I, I do. I do. And he's fit for the game today because he can impact the game in so many ways. Yeah. He only averaged two, 1.9 three-point attempts per game back then. Today he'd get eight or nine and, and just stroke it. Yeah. Uh, hey, really, if you want to have a laugh – Watch some of those old classic basketball games that they were running all oh, summer. I watch them all the time. Oh, my God, Aaron. It's hilarious. <laughs> Everybody's within 15 feet of the hoop. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's like a mosh pit to try and get a basket. It makes a basket precious. Now a basket's worthless. I know, well, you need 10 right. of them. 10-0 ten, run is all that matters now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, Coach. Hey, I appreciate you coming on. That was a lot of fun. Good luck the rest of the season. I look forward to see how you rebound from losing your Jordan Pippen Rodman <laughs> <laughs> and, and try and bring that national championship to Eugene. Kyrie, K Love, and LeBron, right? Okay, sure, sure. I'll give you that. Hey, uh, uh, let's do it again coach. sometime, all right? Sure, no problem. All right, thanks, man. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to the Blazer Focus Podcast. Please be sure to click that subscribe button and don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening.